Welcome to this podcast on managing through crisis. I'm Paul Boning, a managing partner with Whit Kiefer, where I've spent 25 years as an executive search consultant. I hope that you and all those around you are staying healthy and safe during this pandemic. And let me especially acknowledge those of you who continue to be directly supporting your communities and teams on the front lines of this battle with COVID-19. We're deeply appreciative of your service and honored to have you listen to our podcast. These are incredibly difficult times for all of us individually, which is compounded by the challenges of leading others. Executives today must take care of themselves to fill their own tanks, to stay balanced, to stay present if they're going to take care of their teams and organizations. This podcast with our colleagues at CMA is intended to give you the tips on how to manage yourself and your teams during this crisis. I'm very pleased today to be working with CMA, our firm's partners in executive assessment and development, onboarding, coaching, and other services through Whitkeefer's Leaderverse suite of solutions. I'm pleased to introduce Dr. Terrence Bostic, managing partner of CMA Global. Terrence, so glad to join you and thank you for you and your team's leadership and partnership, which we value so greatly. Thank you, Paul. This podcast is a way that we at CMA and Whit Kiefer can support executives during the current crises. Our speakers today are my CMA colleagues, Drs. Dana Borchert and Henry Hummert, true experts in the field of leadership psychology. Dana and Henry will focus on a few key things. First, they'll describe a model for self-management, which, if followed, allows a leader to better process professional challenges and respond to them thoughtfully, rather than simply reacting. Secondly, they will share insights on how best to manage a team during crises, from setting goals and priorities to communicating clearly and coaching and developing others. Paul and I believe you will enjoy and benefit greatly from this program. Thank you for listening, and we'll now turn things over to our speakers. Thank you for the kind introduction, Terrence. Henry and I are excited to be here today and look forward to sharing what we believe is the best of social science research with our listeners. In addition, we hope we can bridge the gap between thinking and doing. So to get started, I'd like to reflect on what we're hearing from leaders these last couple of weeks. Henry, what is top of mind for the executive leaders you're talking to? Well, what I'm hearing leaders are talking about managing their own and their team's productivity. And that includes balancing their family life as well as the expectations of this new work cycle where it could become 24-7, particularly since a lot of people are working remotely. Right now, they're also considering transition and some re-entry issues. And all of that is also with keeping the team safe, both physically and psychologically. Uh, there's so much uh, input and so much to think about. I'm hearing those same concerns from the leaders I'm talking with. You know, Henry, given your background in clinical psychology, how do you begin to respond to some of those concerns? Well, right now it's leading through crisis. And a big part of being an effective leader right now means managing yourself and managing others. A big theme I think we want to emphasize today, Dana, is that you cannot be a strong and effective leader if you're not taking good care of yourself. You have to practice good self-care to be effective, and that's a good model for others. 
I think it's so hard for leaders, Henry, you know, just even when you say that, I want to sit with it for a second, because I do think so many leaders feel selfish taking care of themselves. And I really think back to the days when we were flying and traveling and those flight attendants, uh, key safety words of put your mask on first before you help others. And I know a lot of leaders who really need to almost recite that for themselves as a mantra because they feel uh, selfish taking care of themselves. Really good point. Uh, you know, most good effective leaders are very self-directed, take charge, and they also have to think about, I need to take charge of my own life. I need, we're gonna talk about taking charge of your own brain too, to really be effective. I was gonna introduce a, a model for a way to think about this, Dana. Um, it, it's a self-management model. And I wanna think about it as a, a sequence, kind of like three buckets. The first bucket is dealing with situations. What are the situations you're having to handle right now? Second are your thoughts or your self-talk about those situations. And third, then your actual response and feelings. They're like three buckets, but they go in sequence. What's really interesting, and we have to remember this, is how you think about your situations has about as much impact as the situation itself. So it's not just managing the situations you're dealing with, but how do you manage your response and your thinking about it? So let's talk about the first bucket, managing your situation. I don't need to tell anybody, you've got some really tough situations facing you right now. We know that. Part of what you have to be doing is trying to buffer your input. There's too much information coming in. There's lots of crises that are coming to your uh, office and, and to your attention. And you need to be very selective as much as you can to try to filter some of that. Sometimes that means you have to turn off your electronic device for a while so you can really process and focus. And this is where uh, people who are work in medical practice will understand the idea of triage. In an emergency room, if you go in there, you have to think about what's the crisis, how do you first stop the bleeding, and then you consider does this person need to be treated, do they need to go to rehab, do they need to be referred for some other kinds of care. It's really important to do your own triaging right now so that you're being selective about what you focus on. Stephen Covey had a good model of thinking about things that are urgent and important. Obviously, there's some very urgent things we all have to deal with right now, and that's where we put a lot of our attention. He reminds us, though, too, particularly in this time of crisis when you can start to feel some burnout, you sometimes have to literally schedule some time for things that are important but not urgent. And that can be planning and strategy. I think you're going to talk a little later uh, you know, about developing people. It's mm -hmm. important right now to not just focus on those urgent matters, but what's important and how do you schedule some time for them? You know, Henry, it's so interesting. So many things that you're just talking about. First of all, thinking about prioritizing the input. And for me, these first couple weeks of the pandemic were very different uh, than even some of my family members. Um, as, as someone who's home with two little kids, mm. there was not a lot of time to watch the news. And so I would, you know, be talking to a family member over the phone and they would 
kind of be in panic mode. And I, to many ways, was disconnected because I was still just busy working and then taking care of my kids. And there wasn't that time to look at the news as much as even I think I wanted to at that time. You also, when you talk about Covey's model of that urgent versus important, it really makes me think about the fact that so many of these self-care things we put off. We don't think of them as urgent or important. We think of going for that five-minute walk as a luxury. Or maybe to these days, it's getting up and showering and brushing your teeth. You know, that no longer became important because you weren't going to talk to anybody. Um, and so I think we might need to recategorize some of that self-care in that uh, important uh, model, too. Right. And, and remember, you have to schedule for those things. Uh, they, they just don't happen unless you schedule them. And speaking of scheduling, that's another part of managing your situation. Again, a lot of what we're going to talk about today isn't like new revelations, but it's just reminding ourselves that we need to practice some good habits. So right now, time management, workflow management is very important. Any kind of techniques you can use to organize, prioritize, for a lot of people, that means keeping things visual so you can look at what needs to happen. Uh, I think that's really important. Uh, Dana, I'll have to say that's something I need to work on. So I, I really admire your ability to do that. You did a lot of structuring even for this podcast. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> he thanks me now. Uh, I think the first time he saw my structure and, and uh, outlines, he was like, oh, wow, we're going there. <laughs> Right, well, right, some, some of us more free-flowing folks uh, need to be reined in. But just for people to know, since that, for instance, was an area of improvement for me, you know, I've literally hired uh, time management coaches to help me structure my office, structure my workflow. If you need that, do that. Another real important part of managing your situation, particularly you know, if you're in a position of some authority, is delegation. Delegating with uh, proper coaching and support is not dumping. Right now, we mentioned earlier, you need to be focusing on things that are most urgent and mission critical. So think about, is this something I really need to be doing? Or is there someone else that could be helping me with this or actually maybe is even better at it than I am? As a leader and a manager, another part of managing your situation right now, is you need to be assertive and an advocate. You know, within your company, within your organization, you need to really be pushing for you and your team in terms of resources that you need. And a final area I would think about managing your situation has to do with your social support network. That's kind of a fancy term for people you feel connected to and with and who want to support you. This is an important time to maybe even list for yourself, you know, who are in my support network? Who are those people? making a list of those, asking yourself, am I keeping in touch with them? And I think something to aim for here is, you know, we often think, well, am I uh, real dependent and needy or am I independent and a lone wolf? There's something in between there that I would call interdependence. This is a good time for interdependence. You still need to take initiative on your own, have your own goals and objectives, but depending on people so they can help you, so you can delegate, so they're giving your input. That's a great balance right now. 
you know, Henry, you really, you poured out a lot in that bucket of situation. So just thinking about what you said, I really heard you say within this situation bucket, we need to prioritize our input. We need to um, think about urgent versus important. Make sure we have the right workflow structures in place and that likely includes delegating to the team around us or people around us. And then we need to make sure that our situation includes these strong social support networks. It's a lot to think about yes. all within that bucket. You know, what strategies do you think leaders who are thinking through all of this should be deploying now to manage their own resilience and specifically kind of all those thoughts and self-talk that creep in during these uncertain times? Yeah, that we, we're all experiencing cognitive overload. And that's the, the second category or bucket we're talking about. You know, we talked about situations. Now, what is your self-talk? What are you thinking about that situation? Uh, I'm one psychologist telling you that uh, it, it's not odd to talk to yourself. Every time you think, that's self-talk. As long as you know it's you, you and not somebody else who's talking to you. <laughs> but that's part of the inner dialogue. And my point earlier was, you always can't necessarily control a situation. You can control, though, how you perceive and process that situation. So your self-talk has a huge impact on how you ultimately feel and act. So a couple things about self-management here. You know, one is uh, managing your brain, uh, meaning uh, your brain tries to protect you. And you have to be careful about if you see something as urgent or a danger, there's a whole physiological response that kicks in to protect you. That's how our brain is wired. Sometimes that first reaction, that first urge isn't helpful or appropriate. So part of what you have, need to do in terms of managing your brain in this situation is watching out for not labeling everything that's urgent and really to be thinking about what is my self-talk? What am I telling myself about the situation? So let's say um, you know, my work life has been really disrupted because I'm working from home and that's a little clumsy. If my self-talk about that continuously is, boy, this is terrible, it's not working well, this is inefficient, I'm gonna lose my status within the company, that kind of thinking is making you feel worse, worried, and it's not helping you solve the problem. What we're recommending you try to aim for is some rational self-talk. That's not Pollyanna-ish. It doesn't mean everything's okay, but it's rational and reason-based. So in that situation, it might be, I don't love the way this is working out right now, uh, but I want to adapt to it. I want to do a good job. I want to please my customers. I want to please my boss. How can I do that? Same situation. The situation hasn't changed, but what I'm telling myself about it has changed, and that can make a big impact on how I feel. You know, Henry, as you talk about this, I also think about the impact of normalizing and the fact that the entire world is experiencing uh, a crisis. Yes, we mm. each experience it in a unique way, but some of that inner self-talk, you know, the research would really show that trying to take the perspective that this is normal, this is hard, and others are going through something somewhat relatable 
to you right now too. So you're not alone in this. And I think this is also why the self-talk, uh, a lot of people have affirmation statements that they say to themselves every morning and, and there's power behind that. It, there certainly is. And another way to think about your self-talk and your thinking is differentiating between worrying and problem-solving thinking. If I'm worrying, it's usually it's open-ended, my head is spinning. You know, think of those times when you've awakened at 2 a.m. and your head goes on, worry, 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 terrible. <laughs> um, it doesn't generate solutions and it makes you feel worse. I would differentiate that from problem-solving thinking. If I'm doing problem-solving thinking, I'm still dealing with the issue. I'm doing it in a time-limited manner. Uh, I'm trying to come up with some solutions and often that means writing that out, you know, either electronically or literally, and then putting it aside when you're trying to come up with solutions. Uh, I'm a pretty good worrier, so I've had to work at this through the years. And a technique, and there's research to support this, it may seem silly, but if you're a really good worrier, it helps to schedule worry time. You're gonna worry, make it a planful event that from you know, 12 to 12, 15, I'm gonna sit there, what am I worried about? Jot it down, what are those thoughts about? You can look at, are these helpful thoughts? Are they rational or not? And then, you know, close your device or close your logbook to say, I'm setting that aside for my next worry time. And one other thing to think about with what's going on in your head, your body doesn't know the difference between am I experiencing a bad event or am I thinking about it? If I was uh, hooked up to some biofeedback equipment that would measure my heart rate, my uh, blood pressure, my uh, blood flow, and someone was yelling at me, an angry client, and you took those measurements, and then an hour later, you hooked me up to that equipment again and said, Henry, think about that same encounter. The physiological measures would be almost the same. So every time we run something through our head, we're having the same stress response. So you need to really try to compartmentalize that. When you're coming home and you're having dinner, if you're thinking about that irate customer or that bad event, it's like you're inviting those people to your dinner table. I don't think you want them there. <laughs> and uh, uh, that's where you have to redirect your thinking. And certainly, if you're a worrier, doing that in your bedroom while you're trying to go to sleep, no way. That's gonna disrupt your sleep uh, and make it hard to relax. Well, those are some strategies I found helpful, Dana. Uh, any ideas you could recommend or that we haven't thought about yet? Absolutely. You know, first of all, I just love that worry uh, time. I had not been practicing that prior to this pandemic and have found it very helpful to set aside that specific time. And some of that, I think the worry time is particularly helpful right now because we are working from home and there aren't clear boundaries that maybe some of us used to have. The boundary between leaving your home and getting in your car, the, the boundary between driving and using that space and time to think, now we're at home. So setting aside time that maybe would have been my commute to think about my worries um, has been very helpful. In addition to those strategies, there's, there's kind of three that I really in, think are helpful and the research has really supported them. And they all really help focus your mind more intentionally. 
So the first technique that comes to mind for me is one called Three Good Things. This technique was originally created by Martin Segelman, who's a researcher in positive psychology. And the practice of three good things is to just do that every day, whether it's five minutes when you wake up or five minutes before you go to bed, think about three things that went well or th three things that you're grateful for. Now, you can do this in different levels of difficulty. So the first level is just thinking about three things that went well or three things you're grateful for today. The next level would be to think of three unique things every day. And what the research has found is for the first two weeks, this goes relatively well, but after two weeks, this gets increasingly more difficult, but that's when the real power comes in. Because in order to come up with three completely unique things that you're grateful for, you end up walking through your day with rose-colored glasses. You look for the things that you're going to write down in your, your gratitude journal that evening. And instead of looking for things that you're worried about or looking for things that went wrong, you end up completely changing your mindset. So three good things, and if you're interested more, you can just quickly probably Google this and find more about this technique. The second technique is just mindfulness, and there's lots of different definitions of mindfulness. Today, I would just like to recommend to people to be more aware and present with whatever you're doing. So if you're eating a meal, really thinking about how that food tastes and smells, really be present with your consumption, even if you're doing that while standing over your sink. Maybe while you're taking your walk, really thinking about the wind hitting your face or your feet on the grass or the pavement and how does that feel, really being aware. Now, some people love mindfulness while they're laying down or, or sitting with their eyes closed and breathing. And that works for many people. It doesn't work for others. There are some helpful applications out there. Headspace comes to mind as well as the Calm application to help people through these types of activities. And then the third thing that comes to mind for me is just physical activity. There is so much research about getting our bodies moving, even if that's just for 10 minutes. I think the recommendation is to do at least 30 minutes of vigorous activity three times a week. But even 10 minute breaks of maybe doing sit-ups or push-ups in your family room, uh, maybe it is going for a more vigorous walk can change our brains help us be more uh, you know, aware, we can solve better problems. The best thing to do if you're panicking and having a hard time problem solving is go run on a treadmill or run outside for 10 minutes and you'll come back and have a new clarity to be able to solve some of these issues in this crisis. Well, those are interesting. And you know, what, what part of what I'm thinking as you're talking, Dana, is you know, I mentioned about redirecting your worry. It's pretty hard just to tell yourself, you know, stop worrying, you know, stop thinking about that pink elephant. And, you know, when you do that, you think of the pink elephant. But if you focus on things you're grateful for, if you focus on the wind in your face or focus on 
having a vigorous run, that's a way to redirect from the worry and focus on something else. So it's, you know, they're healthy for you, but I also, what you're really saying, those are like refocusing techniques. How about um, other suggestions you might have, uh, particularly, I guess, in, in terms of coaching and maybe in our third bucket? You know, it's been really interesting as we kind of have this conversation, I think about the executives I've been talking to as they're managing through this crisis. And, you know, I think during these times, it's, it's just too easy to react and get stuck or sucked into putting out fires rather than really thoughtfully responding uh, to what's important. So I think that really takes us into our third bucket here, which is the response piece, if if you don't mind, I can start, I'll kind of dive into that, Henry. Sure, please go ahead, yep. You know, so with that, I, I think it's really important for leaders to be managing their responses. So first of all, if we think about just reacting, reactions are typically full of emotions, uh, usually pretty fired up emotions. And, you know, they, we usually act, we react, and then we process afterwards. Reactions are good for emergency situations. Like if your kid is running into the street, you don't think about it. You just dive in and grab them, right? I think I have to do that like 10 times a day with my children. Um, and the, there are situations for that. However, where we are now in this pandemic, if we slow our thinking down and really think about responding, we can be more cognitive and more thoughtful. So we wanna think first, make a decision, and then act. If we slow down our thinking and really respond, this is really what's best for long-term. And there's a lot of research behind this. Uh, Daniel Kahneman is a fabulous researcher and he actually put out a book, several books, but one of them is called Thinking Fast and Slow. And it's just about this exact idea that if we take more time to analyze the problem in front of us, and for many cases actually identify what the problem is before we've moved forward, then we're going to be making decisions and responding to root causes rather than just symptoms as well. So this idea of responding versus reacting, and even if for some of the leaders who are listening, you know, I would recommend like getting out a post-it note and putting that on the side of your computer as a reminder. Did I respond or am I reacting? Where am I in that? And I, you know, all of this requires some self-management and practice, you know, just like any other skill. Like if you're practicing your tennis serve, you might be a little clumsy at first, um, but the more you practice, the better you get. And, you know, kind of goes back to that 10,000 hours phenomena. You know, if you keep practicing this, eventually um, you won't get to the part where, oh man, I wish I would have done something differently. You'll start to identify the triggers. Some of those triggers may even be within your body. You start to identify that your heart rate's going up or you're getting anxious, and those are signs that maybe you need to take a deep breath so that you can respond to the situation rather than just reacting as well. So really keeping that self-awareness is, is important, sort of knowing your cues and your triggers is, is what you're saying. Absolutely. And, you know, I mentioned earlier about our brain. Uh, I think another th important thing is 
when we react, the emotional and very automatic part of our brain is kicking in to respond. That means you have to draw upon more complex cognitive processes. It's actually a different part of your brain. <laughs> if you're doing a PET scan, you can see that light up when you're responding. Um, and uh, you know, I think that takes practice. Absolutely. It's shifting from the amygdala to the frontal cortex, right? Exactly. Right. <laughs> the old amygdala, that's the emotion center. That maybe lights up. Uh, uh, you can be in trouble sometimes if that's who's running the show. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, so it looks like, you know, we've covered this model of taking care of yourself, and that really includes uh, managing your situations. Uh, what can you do about your situations? Prioritizing, delegating. Uh, limiting input if you can. We talked about the second part of that model is managing your self-talk and your thinking. Are you problem solving or are you worrying? Are you having productive rational thoughts or worrisome thoughts and what to do about that? And you were just talking then about that issue of reacting versus responding and the importance of uh, trying to respond, not just react, particularly when you have to solve problems. But like you said, if your kid's running in the street, grab him. <laughs> and, and the other part of this, I want to emphasize, and we'll do that again at the end, I think we're saying, Dana, that self-care is very important. Good leaders, good managers have to be taking care of themselves or they can't take care of anybody else. Absolutely. So we're talking about how you take care of yourself, build resilience, et cetera. Um, I'd like to talk now a bit, how can leaders and managers manage their teams through the crisis? You know, what are some things leaders should keep in mind when they're trying to not just manage themselves, but also manage their teams? Yeah. You know, Henry, I think effective team leaders are always needing to consider two factors when managing their teams, and especially now through a crisis, uh, as so many teams are working remote. So another model for us to think on has two key components. The first bucket or component is includes tasks and outcomes, and the second bucket includes relationships and processes. So let me start by talking about the bucket that includes tasks and outcomes. Okay. So when we, we think more about the tasks and outcomes of this bucket as managers, it's going to be very important for us to clarify and prioritize goals and objectives. We need to determine what is mission critical. We wanna focus on those things that really matter. And then we need to clarify priorities and possibly realign them. If we think about the life cycle of this pandemic, and I, I wish we could know what the future holds, but we don't, we are likely having to change our priorities fairly frequently. The first six weeks, it felt like priorities were changing daily, if not hourly. It feels like we've gotten to a little bit of slower change than that, but it's still very important to loop back with your team and make sure that they are aligned on what these priorities are. And so that also means that it's very important to have some frequent check-ins with people because your team may be heading in a direction and maybe you verbalized a change in priorities 
or maybe you forgot to because of how quickly things are moving and you want to make sure that everybody's moving in the same direction. It's also really important when we think about this task outcome bucket to ensure that the team has all the necessary tools and structure they need to work. At the beginning, I there was a huge rush to go virtual. I think I now have every virtual meeting application on my iPad, phone, computer, you name it, device. And there really was a, a quick turn to make sure that people had the resources they needed. Um, we need to continue to do that because as we work from home or some people go into work, those are going to change. Those tools um, are going to change depending on recommendations and, and environment. The final piece of this task outcome bucket that I want to touch on is really the capacity and capability of those team members. So it's really important for managers and leaders right now to reassess individual strengths and developmental opportunities. This is a time where maybe last October you looked at your bench strength and you knew who your players were. Those players' capabilities and capacity right now may be different than it was in October, depending on their work from home situations as well, or even the stress level that they could be holding. Some of your top players may have other inputs, other stressors that are impacting their capacity to handle work right now. So reassess these individual strengths and development opportunities and use this information to guide how you're gonna assign tasks and help those who maybe need more support. You know, as I mentioned this help it to guide assigned tasks, I do want to put a caveat on there, which is try not to make assumptions. If you're not going to assign a task to a person because you feel they're stressed, make sure you talk to them about that. And that is actually something that is accurate and what they want. Don't assume that they can't take something on because of their life situation without having a vulnerable and, and candid conversation about that as well. It's interesting kind of pausing to look at your bench strength that makes me think when we talked earlier about important versus urgent. It's moving from just urgent, urgently getting everything completed to um, the important task of who's the best fit for this task or for this role right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. So it's simple when we think about task outcomes and relationships. Are there other ways to think about how to be a, an effective leader with your team right now? You know, it's really interesting that you asked that, Henry, because what you just said uh, falls directly into what the other models that I think of. So one of the models that I really like in this type of crisis situation to think about is Hershey and Blanchard's situational leadership model. And they suggest that there's four primary leadership styles, directing, influencing, collaborating, and delegating. Okay. And their research really shows that a more directive style may be necessary at the beginning of a project or the beginning of a pandemic when team members 
possibly lack the knowledge to work on their own. But as a team becomes more experienced and knowledgeable, or in our case, a pandemic becomes somewhat more stable, the leaders may want to shift to more delegating approach. The key to this that made me think of what we were just talking about, Henry, is the fact that this situational model of leadership focuses on flexibility. And so the leaders can adapt their style according to the needs of the team members and the demands of the situation. So if you have team members who are highly capable, can take the initiative, have all the structure and resources they need, you can be more delegating and hands off than if you have team members who are experiencing a significant amount of stress. Maybe their work from home situation doesn't allow them to take on as many responsibilities. Then in those situations, you might wanna be more delegating or even coaching. It's kind of shifting. So in the situation, maybe it's okay to give more work to somebody but in some instances, really taking charge and being the gatekeeper, that's the directing style. That, that may be appropriate for that situation. Absolutely. And I, I think the idea of having clear communication and connection with your team is so important right now so that you can best calibrate where they are and what their needs are as well. You know, as I, I talk through this task and outcome bucket, an aspect of leading. I'm also curious about, Henry, how you think leaders can continue to keep people engaged and feel a sense of belonging. Ah, the, the relationship process part. As you know, I'm better at that than the structure outcome. Is that why you're referring <laughs> to me? Thank you so much, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> we play to each other's strengths. It works That's well. Right. Well, when we talk about the relationship and process bucket, uh, that's the idea is that there certainly are tasks and outcomes. Work has to get done, but how it gets accomplished uh, can can really make a difference on the outcome. Uh, as you've talked about, even with that leadership style, people have their own individual ways they're reacting to this pandemic, how they're adjusting to it, and it's very important right now to build and support team cohesion. And the thing to keep in mind building a good team and connecting with them. That certainly I think there's good reasons to do that. You know, it's like a good thing to do, but the research, you know, where you want to be science-based today, the research says also team members that feel connected to each other, they have a shared sense of purpose and they like working for their boss, they're more productive. So it's not just, you know, sort of doing the right thing, doing the team building and facilitating that, you're going to have a more effective team. So parts of that cohesion means you do have some structure. People understand what their tasks are. You reinforce sharing ideas. You really try to get a lot of uh, input from others. And the other part, you as a leader manager, trying to form some relationships with the people that you're with, not just around business, but you know a little more what you might call in the schmoozing category. You know, asking about their family, uh, what books are they reading? Um, trying to understand more about them as a person, uh, team members really appreciate that when their manager takes some interest in what's going on in their life. You know, Henry, you just make me think a little bit about at CMA. And at CMA, we have a very strong internal culture of fun and collaboration and hard mm -hmm. work. And a couple of things that come to mind when you talk about 
number one, establishing structure. So at CMA, we have team meetings every week, and then we have an all-day meeting every month. And that has not changed, even in this virtual environment. But we also make it really fun. So when you talk about sharing kind of normal information, our team meeting that was an all day last month, we had a vacation theme. So everybody showed up on the virtual meeting wearing fun hats and t-shirts, everything from cowboy hats and baseball caps uh, to hula uh, shirts. And so keeping it fun as well. Mm -hmm. That's really important. I thought my um, Hawaiian shirt was very tasteful. My wife didn't think so, but it, it, I thought it was pretty festive, don't you? <laughs> I do. <laughs> well, you know, I think there's other ways, you know, that we can build those relationships. Um, uh, I think a couple things to think about are, uh, you know, listening is very important right now. Um, and I think that involves active listening. We, we can sometimes think of listening as passive, but, you know, think uh, people are listening and Dana, you know, a couple of times I asked you to kind of clarify something or, or summarize it. That's active listening. When you ask somebody, here's what I think you said. Am I following you correctly? Can you expound on that a little bit more? And I think the other part of connecting right now as a leader is letting people know you're concerned about them. You might not be able to fix everything but you are aware that they're in a stressful situation. You're trying to do your best to make it better for them. Yeah, you know, Henry, I think this is so paramount. And I, I don't wanna skip over this concept of listening because in times such as these, really listening to the team can make a huge impact. As a leader, you, you don't need to have all the answers, as you mentioned, or be the problem solver, which I think so many of us get into solving problems or coming up with solutions because that's how we feel we add value. But during times like this, it can be more powerful to just sit with your team and really listen. So I, I definitely don't want to skip over that for, for our listeners today. Right. I think that's important. And... Uh, I think also when we think about the relationship part, communication is paramount. You know, communicate, communicate, communicate. Uh, that means certainly listening, as you're saying, Dana, taking an input, hearing what people have to say. It's also really important if, uh, as a leader or manager that you keep your team as informed as you can. You wanna try to share information. But right now, uh, particularly when people are, are more disconnected, all the more important to have those check-ins and those meetings so you can squash rumors, bring people up to date, try to be as transparent as you can, and also be honest about what you do and don't know. Don't overpromise. Uh, you know, don't say uh, there won't be any layoffs if you don't know that. Um, right now, it's, it's okay to say, here's what I know. I'll keep you informed if anything has changed. People may not like that, but it's better than giving information that you really don't have or that you have to take back. You know, Henry, you just, when you talk about communication, again, this is one of those concepts that 
is so simple and yet so powerful. And over years of doing engagement surveys, I can't think of a single survey that did not come back with communication somewhere on the list of things they want more of. And so I think it's important to know that your team wants more communication. And it's also important to think about the fact that your team members may wanna be communicated with in different ways. So some may want the virtual meeting, some may want the phone call, the text message, the email. So think about all the different ways that your team processes this type of information. So if you are doing a town hall to communicate information, follow it up with a summary email so that your team can process that information in some different ways. And I think another final part about the um, relationship process part is right now, being an active coach and mentor, giving people feedback on how they're doing, or letting them know that you recognize, this is an important time to recognize effort as well as outcome. I mean, we need good outcomes, but if people are really putting in extra time, maybe if they're dealing with limited resources, maybe if there has been a reduction in force, make sure you're reinforcing people for their efforts as well as their output. And when you think about giving feedback, remember the ratio of trying to give at least three positives to one negative uh, allows the person to process it much more than if they just hear about what they've done incorrect. Or, you know, as you all know, as good parents, it, you know, the challenge is how do you sometimes catch your children being good and emphasizing that. That's a great point. All right. Wow, Henry, as we near the end of our time, I, I want to ask a, one more question. And I wanted to know, you know, what kind of leadership do you believe will be required to successfully navigate this new normal? Yeah, the new normal, you hear that a lot. Well, a couple things, I think, and the research would support this, leaders are going to need to be very agile being able to change for different environments. You, know, you mentioned that situational leadership model, really adapting to the situations. Creativity is gonna be uh, important. Uh, challenging convention coming up with new ways to do things. And I think leaders are gonna to have to be uh, good coaches, game plan, but they're also very affirming. What do you think? You know, those are really great points. I love the agile piece of this. Um, with that, Henry, you know, I, I think that it's important for leaders to navigate this, this new normal. They need to understand that we're in a time where physical safety is as important as psychological safety. And leaders might need some structure of how to respond to both psychological and physical safety needs. And I know we didn't go into the psychological or physical safety in a great deal of depth today, but I think that is something that as we progress through these times will be paramount. I agree. Understanding, you know, just like what are CDC guidelines in terms of physical safety, you know, and psychological safety being someone where you're, as a leader, you create a safe place for people to share their concerns, their worries, you know, their hopes, uh, and their questions and, and being okay with that. Absolutely. Well, Henry, this has been really fun hearing your thoughts of, and ideas. And I know Henry and I both hope that our listeners feel this discussion was thought provoking. One of our key takeaways from today that we want you to remember, I know we've talked a lot about different models, 
But the key thing we'd like you to walk away with is the importance of taking good care of yourself and that if you take good care of yourself, this will help you take better care of others and manage those teams through crisis. So from Whit Kiefer and CMA, we hope that you're able to stay safe and strong. Thank you for tuning in. We invite you to visit whitkiefer.com to learn more about our expertise in leadership and view our open searches. You can follow Whit Kiefer on our socials, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Whit Kiefer. Whit Kiefer makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. Reliance on the information provided in this podcast is undertaken at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Third-party materials or the contents of any third-party site referenced in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions, standards, or policies of Wikifer. Wikifer assumes no responsibility or liability for the accuracy or completeness of the content contained in third-party materials or on third-party sites referenced in this podcast or the compliance with applicable laws of such materials and or links referenced herein. But Kiefer makes no warranty that this podcast or the server that makes it available is free of viruses, worms, or other elements or codes that manifest contaminating or destructive properties. But Kiefer expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this podcast or the information presented in this podcast.